Father, your word is so insightful. There is so much wisdom contained in its pages. And the knowledge that is useful for sustaining and maintaining life here on earth. We understand that it has benefit not only for this life, but also for the life to come. So as we look at it, Lord, use it, enrich us, strengthen us, give us solid direction that we may not waver from it according to the will of your spirit, that we might be submitted to him in this area. And Father, we bless you and we thank you for delivering to us your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to spend a couple of weeks on marriage reset and reinforcement. I had planned on doing this for a while before we get into another book covering a few subjects. And this is going to be, as I just said, marriage reset and reinforcement part one. Now in Genesis chapter two, verse 18, it reads, the Lord God said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God decided that he would make something good. And for the man, the woman was good. She was very good is what God calls her and what God calls man. Very good. Everything else that he did in creation, he called good. But when he was done with the man and the woman, he said, this is very good. Then in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 22, this is even reinforced. It says, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. And so whatever man is lucky enough to find a wife, it is a good thing for him to find a wife. And it is good for the wife as well, the woman, to find a husband. But over in 1 Corinthians, we have the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 28, he's talking to those, and the whole chapter pretty much deals with marriage and singleness and how we're to view it once we become believers or disciples in Jesus Christ. And there was this controversy about maybe it's better not to marry. Or maybe it's okay to marry. And he was answering some of these objections and questions. He says, but if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. So the apostle Paul wanted to spare us the institution of marriage. Why? Because there's trouble in marriage. Well, what kind of trouble? When it comes to marriage... There are categories that are, I want to say pandemic like it's bad, but it is, they are ubiquitous. Every single marriage deals with just a few subjects. And if we can overcome these subjects, we will have fantastic marriages. Now you might say, but I'm sitting here single and I'm not married. And how is this going to apply to me? We all know somebody who is married. If you know somebody who is married, you know somebody who has had or is having trouble or will have trouble. And if you're able to talk to one of them alone or together, you might give them some wisdom and instruction. Not be able to say that, well, Pastor Bill said, but be able to say, this is what Scripture says. And this will enable them to be equipped to endure the long haul of marriage. Now, somebody may look at marriage as 
just a long endurance race and when is this thing going to be over? And others look at it as a pleasurable event with some ups and downs, some hills and valleys, so to speak. And so some of these issues that we all have in common begin with, and I'm going to give you three of them right now, relationship, riches, and respect. Now, relationship would deal with communication, talking, interacting with one another. That's what relationship is. Secondly, riches, it deals with money. Now, husband and wives usually have a different view of money and what to do with money. And then there's respect, and this has to do with love and submission. And you might say that submission, that's the S word. That is the wrong word to bring up when love is right there too. And what does God have in store for those who are in marriage as far as love and submission is concerned? Now, there's going to be some other categories that I bring up, but these three, I might get through one today, but these three are relevant I'd like you to turn over. I'm going to give you some scriptures here. And what you might do with these scriptures is in the front of your Bible, write them down and put marriage above it. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is a marriage book. Song of Solomon is a marriage book. There are specific sections in scripture that deal with the institution of marriage, husbands and wives specifically. The first one is 1 Peter chapter 3. It's going to be verses 1 through 7. The second one is Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18 through verse 25. The next one will be Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, and going through chapter 6 in verse... Nine. Now I'll give those to you again as we go through them. First Peter chapter three, verse one. Now I'm just going to read these straight through without giving a lot of commentary, but you'll get the gist of what's going on here. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment. And by the way, you can probably put the word in there, merely outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women in the past used to put their hope in God. They used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now turn over to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. In Colossians 3.18, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you 
and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. There is no favoritism. Turning to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church's body, of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So in these sections that I just gave you, there is this commandment that we are to observe, Christ is the head of the church. Man is the head of woman. The woman and the family, the, the family is next, the children. And then there's this reference to slave and masters. For us, that would be employers and employees. When it comes to this idea of submission, and I will get into this in the third topic uh, more in depth, but it's this idea of being in submission in general in the book of Ephesians. It starts out, submit to one another. And he's given general instruction to the church that everybody in the church is supposed to be submitted to one another. And then he gives three examples of this type of submission. He talks about husbands and wives. He talks about parents and children. He talks about slaves and masters. Would it be appropriate for a slave not to be submitted to his master? The answer is no. That would be inappropriate to do that. There would be a punishment that would be involved back at this time and throughout all of history when slaves have not been submissive to their masters or when employees have not been submissive to their employers, there's usually some kind of issue that comes up because it's common knowledge throughout the entire world that this type of submission is to take place. Same thing with children. If children are not respectful and submissive to their parents, Something is wrong. 
Matter of fact, somebody cannot be a leader in the church if the children are not submitted to the parents inside the household. And so that is also a universal truth that no child is to run amok, so to speak, where the parent does nothing to bring them in and discipline them. Scripture says that if we love our children, we will discipline them. So just as those two, the relationship from employer and employee, from parent to child, the same thing applies with husband and wife. It would be inappropriate for a wife to usurp authority, so to speak, over the husband. Now, that doesn't mean the husband doesn't have responsibility of his own. He does. And he, she, she cannot be submissive to him unless he's taking care of his responsibility. And if you go back up the ladder, all of us are supposed to be submitted to Christ. And who is Christ submitted to? He's submitted to the Father. So when you look at all of these in context, there is this hierarchy of somebody who is in charge and responsible. And going all the way down from God to Christ to the man, to the wife, we'll stop it there and we won't go into the children and we won't go into the employers and the employees. And so we're going to deal with the relationship with the husband and the wife. So this deals with the tongue, the communication, the speech, how we interact with one another, what we say, when we say it, what's our inflection, what's our tone. And those of you who are married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, because of the fall... And although there are some exceptions, there is a tendency in men to, number one, exasperate their children. It says in Ephesians 4, as I just read, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So fathers, they have a tendency to make the children cry is what they do. And a mother will come and say, you're so mean. Why are you being so mean to the children? Why don't you just teach them what to do? Because the husband, you know, he has a short attention span. And he doesn't deal patiently with little kids who are impatient. And that's just the normal course of a man. That's just how a man operates. Now, I'm a man, and I know this. I know that this is how we operate. And I have seen this with other men as well. And we have a tendency to be curt with the little kids, you know, when they're real tiny. Oh, poor little baby. I'll pick you up, and I play with you. And, and then when they start doing things wrong, no! You know, the father just looks at the child and is a little harsh with them and sets them in the right direction. And a little bit of fear is good for the child. Like, that's dad, and he's big, and he has a deep voice and he yells and we know how that can be so this idea to exasperate children that's part of the fall i believe that that's where fathers like to go and it is a problem because it is brought up in ephesians by paul saying parents fathers do not exasperate your children this is common just don't get involved this is how a believer a disciple of jesus is supposed to act also secondly a man has a tendency to be overbearing, demanding, and threatening to those they employ. Most employers who are men will have a tendency to run a tight ship. They will say, this happens and that doesn't happen, and they might get a little angry sometimes if it doesn't take place. That's just the normal bent of a man who is an employer. Now, there's all this training for the poor waifs who are coming out of college now because they need puppies and pudding uh, to help them deal with things. And it's changing the whole culture. 
but in one sense, it's probably not good that they be too demanding or too threatening, that type of thing. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with them. And so he understands that with a man who is a father, a man who is an employer, there is this tendency to be a little harsh, a little angry, a little threatening, a little demanding, a little overbearing. That's just the normal makeup of a normal man. Now, again, there are some exceptions to this, but it's the normal man. It also says in 1 Peter 2.18, Slaves, submit to yourselves, to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh, which means you can. it's implied there that It's explicit, actually, that there are those who are harsh that are employers or those who are harsh that are the slave owners, so to speak. Now, going on, the third thing is, because of the fall, men have a tendency to be harsh with their wives. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Why? Because they have a tendency to be harsh with them. Now, I think we as believers in the church, are a little better than the world. Not a lot better because we're, we're filled with sinners inside of any church. But we are told do not be harsh directly from God himself through the Apostle Paul as he writes this down. First Peter 3, I'll remind you again, husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So women are to be submissive, but they're not to be a doormat. Men are to be loving and never harsh or ruthlessly demanding. Women are relationship-oriented, and men are task-oriented. Usually men need to learn how to speak to women and speak a little more, and usually women need to learn how to speak to men and speak a little less. Now, now all of these things are true from the standpoint of Scripture. Like, for instance, uh, you know, Scripture talks about the woman, how she can tear down her own household in the book of Proverbs. It's by her words that she does that. Men have a tendency to be a fewer words. They like to focus on a particular task. If a, a wife doesn't know what to do with her husband, just give him a task. And once that task is engaged in, he usually just quiets down and he takes care of his task. Unless he gets a little frustrated and he starts throwing things because it's not operating the way that it's supposed to. And he takes out a hammer and he throws it. You know, I, I saw this video of this guy. He was, he was uh, I think it was nunchucks or something. He's working with these nunchucks and he hits himself in the head. And he takes them. He goes, ah, he bends over and he goes, ow. And he just takes them and throws them as far as he can throw them. Like those stupid things. And it's, he was being stupid. You know, it's not the nunchucks that have a mind of their own. And so that's just men. That's how men operate. Some men are a little more over the top. And they will put their fists through walls and through doors and into lockers. And women, they just cry. 
that they get to the point and they just cry. They usually don't hit anything. But men have a tendency, if they're going to the extreme on one end, they can get a little violent on something. Hopefully it's not on people, but on something. They yell and they scream and they kick and they do that kind of thing. Women, they just kind of withdraw and they cry and they weep and they're unable to talk. And so, so these are some of the differences. And I know you are aware of these things between men and women. So let me give you an example. There are things that men should never say to a woman. Now I have eight things here listed. These are just examples of things that men should never say to a woman. If you have said some of these, you need to repent and go back and ask for forgiveness. Number one, things men should never say to their wives. Is that what you're going to wear? Number two, are you really going to eat all of that? Number three, what did you do to your hair? Number four, you sound like my mother. Number five, you knew I was like this. Number six, you're crazy. Number seven, you don't look so good. Number eight, you should have asked my mom how to cook. Yeah. <laughs> now those are things you should never say as a husband. Now I could come up with a whole list of things, not just eight. But, you know, men, in order to live with a woman in a way that is respectful, in a way that engenders a good relationship, you have to be somewhat witty. You have to use a little bit of brain power you have to be clever. You have to be complimentary. Like, for instance, when you were dating, hopefully you dated for at least a little while uh, before you got married. Maybe you saw her for the first time and there were things that you said, maybe when you first opened your mouth. If you can think of what you said when you first opened your mouth, the first words that you spoke. Now, here's some that might apply before you actually talk to the woman you are married to or the woman you want to be married to, or maybe it's inside of your relationship, either one. But I have 13 things here that uh, you could probably say, even if you're married, you know, you could probably say some of these, but certainly before you're married, you could say something like, shall we talk or just continue to flirt from a distance? I just wanted to show this rose how incredibly beautiful you are. Is there an airport nearby or is that just my heart taking off? <laughs> there must be something wrong with my eyes. I can't take them off of you. Excuse me, but I think I dropped something. My jaw, right? Excuse me, do you have any raisins? How about a date? I seem to have lost my number. Can I have yours? Kiss me if I'm wrong, but haven't we met before? If I could arrange the alphabet, I'd put you and I together. Can I borrow your cell phone? When she asks why, say, I want to call my family and tell them I've just met the girl of my dreams. I hope you know CPR because you take my breath away. Well, here I am. What were your other two wishes? 
Are you from Tennessee? Because you're the only 10 I see. <laughs> now see how you laugh. I mean, it's just like, oh, yeah, it's, those are funny. Those are cutesy. Try doing it at home. Try doing it, men, with your wife. You know, there's one I've used on Patty. I've mentioned it here before. I said, oh, Patty, do you have a Band-Aid? She goes, Band-Aid? What'd you do? I said, I just fell for you and I scraped my knee all over again. <laughs> you know, something like if, if you do those types of things, I mean, you will bring a smile to your wife, right? And if you're not married yet and you want to be married and uh, you're the guy, you want to do that as well. And women can do the same thing. Women, you know, for instance, if you walked up to your man and you just looked at him straight in the eye and you smiled a little bit and you said, hi, handsome. <laughs> now, what do you think the husband's going to do? Now, either he, if you're not used to that, he's going to roll his eyes. Oh, brother. You know, <laughs> or he's going to smile and he's going to give you a hug or a kiss and he's going to say, thank you, beautiful. Right? And so you want to go back and forth with that type of friendly banter, so to speak. You want to make sure that your words do nothing but edify your spouse. And of course, one verse, you guys should have it memorized by now, Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And James 3, 9 says... With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Both, can both fresh water and salt water f- flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is talking about the condition of the heart. If you are turning to your spouse and you have nothing but harsh words or even name calling or cussing, something like that, we need to make sure we put that far from us as believers, that we never go into that particular realm. Now, this is good for the man especially, but women also, they have a tendency, and this is scriptural, by the way, they have a tendency to nag their husbands. Because they want things done. They, they want to get things accomplished. For instance, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, it says, To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. And then the next phrase, and it's a little difficult to understand. You have to dig into it a little bit to get this meaning out. But it says, Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. It doesn't mean you will desire your husband. Oh, he's home, you know, that type of thing. It's you will desire to rule over him. You will desire to put him in his place and to do your bidding. That is just the natural bent of a woman. And the man, sometimes he goes along with it, sometimes he doesn't. And what does James say happens when the two want something and they're different and they don't get what they want? An argument breaks out. That's how arguments begin. And they can begin with the wife. They can begin with the husband. 
But they begin, and that's how they begin, is because somebody is not getting what they want. Now, a woman, she needs to watch what she says. She needs to watch her words. Proverbs 14.1 says, A wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. Now, if you turn to your husband, and you mean it, and you turn to him and you say, You are so lazy. I'm telling you, you will plant seeds in your husband that will eventually turn to anger if you keep it up. Even if he is, and you might say, well, he is. Well, he might be. But if you sit there and say, you are worthless, you are so lazy, why don't you just get up and do something? Let me ask you, ladies, could he turn around and say something about you that would be just as damaging? And if he does, if he's gotten to the point of anger on the inside and he decides to lash back out at you, who do you think is going to win the war of words? The husband's voice is going to elevate. Chances are he may be able to yell louder than you. He's probably bigger than you. And he's going to be a little more intimidating. And so it it's, does no good to turn to the husband as the woman and start to berate him. It will get you... No traction with your husband. But you want to make sure you build him up. In Proverbs 25, verse 11, it says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Which means the fruit is beautiful, but it's depicted in apples of gold. It's, it's beautiful, shiny gold in settings of silver. It's ornate. It's something that would be of great worth. And if a woman can speak a word at a proper time, at a proper moment, in a proper way... It is going to be a beautiful ornament for her husband. And also, in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 15, it says, A continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Now, have you ever been someplace where you just hear this drip, 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 drip? You get the picture? You know, there was a torture that was like that. It's called the Chinese water torture. They would strap a guy down and they would have this drip just keep on dripping on his forehead. Eventually, it would drive him crazy. And a woman who does that, if she comes out and she decides she wants to be contentious all the time, it's like this constant dripping. You will drive the man crazy um, if you are to engage in that type of thing. And just as a leaky roof would leave a home unprotected, a nagging wife leaves her marriage unprotected another pastor said that i thought that was good and we can replace as well a woman can replace her nagging words with kind and gracious words remember jesus christ who is our example in luke chapter 4 verse 22 it says all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips now it wasn't flattery it was simply being complimentary it was simply in such a way to build up the people that he talked to, in such a way to make them feel like they were friends, that they were welcomed, that they were loved. And so he gives us the instruction on how women, and all men and women both, are to conduct themselves when it comes to speech. And in the old way of behaving, women, I'm sure, as I just said, you married a sinner, And that sinner is going to come with problems. 
And there are going to be sounds and there are going to be smells and there's going to be behaviors that are all going to maybe put you off a little bit. Like, don't you ever take a shower before you come to bed? You know, that type of thing. Are you living as a bachelor? Are you living as a married man? You know, what are you doing here? And and so there's going to be habits and behaviors and all of those things I just talked about. And you can say, well, it's true. He never does this and he never does that. And that's when you get into the N.A., the never and always. And you want to stay away from the never and always because it's usually not true. There may be exceptions, but usually it's not true. And, but if it is true that he's like that, it's certainly not helpful to engage in this nagging type of behavior. It says in Scripture, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful in First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. It may be true you have the right to say, you know, this this isn't right and you need to do this and you need to do that, except when you read Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. If you don't know what that is, we'll get to it in a minute. But you might say, as a woman, well, he deserves it. Well, maybe he does. But just remember, what is it that you deserve? If he has a nagging wife, maybe you deserve him not doing things, you know, and, and Both are not true, but it's this idea that we would take sides. And by the way, when we deliver criticisms, it feels good. It feels good because it puts us in a place of superiority. Whenever we criticize somebody, like you're not doing this, like I would. Or you're not saying this properly, like I would. And this is right and I know it, but apparently you haven't learned it yet. You see how that works? And so when we deliver a criticism, now there is a helpful criticism. Some type of language that you deliver to somebody in the in the tone and inflection where you say, you know, I, I'm just like this, and it's creating a problem. And uh, I know we probably both need to work on this, but you know, I just wanted to let you know, I, I think we should probably work on this issue. And you can include yourself in that because there is no one perfect. No, not one especially in marriage. And the new behavior, can it be said kindly? Is it the right time? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, remember that was made into a popular song back in, I think it was the 70s, to everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. A time to be born and a time to die. The time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to speak and a time to remain silent. You just got to ask God, hey, Is there a time that I should say this or maybe I should refrain? Thirdly, grace should be the rule. Unmerited favor. He doesn't deserve to be addressed like that. Well, probably you don't either. But it's this idea that we act like Christ and give husbands words he doesn't deserve is a good practice to be in. Now, it is possible for a woman to win her husband over as far as salvation is concerned by the very way that she acts, by how she respects him and how she honors him. And he, I guarantee you, does not deserve the honor and respect in his natural form, in his fallen state. But especially if he's following Christ, you do it not because he deserves it, but because Christ says, This is what you ought to do. And when you go into uh, some of these passages, they're delivered in the imperative mood, which means it's a command. Christ comes to us and says, husbands must love their wives and wives must respect their husbands. And so if we don't do that, 
there's going to be some problems. Now, we engage in behavior that is spiritual like that, our flesh is going to hate it. It will not like it. I'm doing this, but I don't want to. I may be sitting down on the inside or outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And you have this tendency to want to be right. We all do, both men and women. This isn't something that is unique to either one of the sexes. But to give you some type of direction of some remedies, I'm going to give you six remedies, six resets and reinforcements here. The first one is choose your words carefully. Uh, As men and women, we should never cuss at our spouses or call them names that are not edifying. Now, you probably have names for your spouse that is other than their birth name, right? Either it's can you pass me the honey sugar? Or can you pass me the sugar honey? You know, something like that. Uh, maybe it's dear. Or is it dear with the eyebrows raised? Dear. You know, which one is it? But you, you have these terms of endearment that you give towards each other. But they should never be a cuss word. They should never be that which is not edifying. Colossians 3.8 says, But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. If you still have a problem with filthy language, you need to give it to the Lord. Stop that lion of the tongue behind the gate of the teeth. Do not let cuss words flow out of your mouth. Just don't do it. Now, I was raised in a culture that it was good and it was edifying for men. But don't do it in the company of women. And so that's kind of how I was raised. Even one employer that I had at my first job, he would, he, it was apartment maintenance is what I did. I changed garbage disposals and dishwashers and painted and receptacles and all that kind of stuff. And he would take something like a garbage disposal down to his shop. And he would grab a screwdriver and he'd start getting frustrated with it. And he would start calling it cuss words. Whatever it was, he would just start yelling at it. And pretty soon, he'd just pick it up and he'd throw it. And he'd just walk away. I started doing that. And I I said, that's not good. When I became a believer, I said, "I, I can't be doing that. You know, so the Lord wants us to remove that. He doesn't want us to address our spouses in any way that is not respectful. That's number one. Choose your words carefully. Number two, be considerate. And we're to be considerate as men with our wives. Colossians 3, 7 in the first part says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Or in other words, give thought to them when making decisions. Give thought to them when you're going to carry out a behavior. Maybe this might affect my wife in a particular way. We're to be considerate. And then husbands are to treat your wives well and speak to them tenderly. In the second part of Colossians 3, 7, it says, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. In Hosea, when God was referring to the nation of Israel, and he used Hosea to uh, be an illustration of how he's going to take back the nation of Israel and make uh, them his wife, so to speak, he says, therefore, now I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly 
to her. There's another portion in scripture where Dinah, the daughter of Leah, born to Jacob, uh, a guy loved her, at least he thought he did, Shechem. He was a Hivite, and he wanted to marry this girl, Dinah. Of course, he violated her, and he spoke to her tenderly, even though he had violated her. He desired her. He was probably sick on the inside because he wanted to be with her. And, of course, it didn't end well for Shechem or any of the men in his community because the brothers took revenge because he violated her. But he would always speak tenderly to her. Why does a man speak tenderly to a woman? Now, a woman would say, because he wants something, right? And the man does. He wants something. He wants you. Now, is that so bad? No, that's a good thing. That's a good thing that a man desires a woman. It's God made us that way. And so if the man speaks tenderly to his wife, she kind of warms up like a crock pot, right? Oh, yeah, tell me more. You know, she, she wants to hear more. And if the man can get that down and the way that he addresses his wife and speaks to her tenderly, she will be more likely to fall into an amorous mood. If you get the connection, what I'm talking about here. So the, this idea, that's how a man is supposed to speak. How does a man normally speak? Harshly. His tendency is just to be harsh. And so the man has to exercise self-control. Well, how do you get self-control? The Holy Spirit who is in us. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The Lord gives us the ability to control those particular emotions. Fourth, never give full vent to your anger. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. And this can apply to a woman who wants to throw a dish across the room because she's so upset with her husband. Just don't give over to full anger. And Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So if a husband comes in and he's just rickety, rackety, you know, and he's saying all these different words and you're going, whoa, what is wrong with you? If the wife goes up to him and says, now, honey, you know, and it's real nice and soft and what are you yelling at me for? You know, she starts doing that. It's just going to escalate. Same thing with the husband. If the wife is totally upset, you know, I, I've seen this before where a wife starts getting all upset and the husband just goes and grabs her and holds her. I'm holding on to you until you relax, you know, and she's fighting and kicking and the man can do that. Now, I don't recommend that in all cases because your wife might be part of the MMA or something like that. And it might be an issue, but whatever your technique is, you want to make sure that you're gentle in response to some harsh words. No question there are exceptions, but in a general rule, men will gain respect and love from their wives if they employ these practices. And if a man is constantly tearing down his wife, being angry at her and treating her harshly, he will lose her. Maybe not necessarily in divorce, but certainly he'll lose her heart. Now, how did the men of old speak to their wives? Here's one. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. I liken you, my darling, to a mare. Now, I don't get that one. She have a long face, you know. 
A horse. You look like a horse, dear. You know, something like that. Well, it says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare, harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. How beautiful you are, my darling. Now, that one, I I have a hard time with that one. As a man, darling. It's just not in my vocabulary. I'm sorry, darling. But it's, you know, it's usually not there. I call her sweetie, you know, honey, sugar, those types of things. But I don't, there's some words that for a man, a man will go, it's hard to get used to saying stuff like that. It's not manly, you know, and, and you, you struggle with that. But here, this is King Solomon. He goes, darling. And she just melts. How beautiful. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. You know, a couple of birds, beautiful white doves. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 2. Like the lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. In other words, you are beautiful than all the other women who are out there. My dove in the cleft of the rock and the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. He's saying, you're beautiful. Now, our words are a little bit different today. But what does the man say? Or what does she say to the man? You've had too many cheeseburgers and you're overweight. No, he, no. she says, his legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my lover. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. She thinks he's handsome right? Oh, to the woman, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind the veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like flocks of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the tower of David built with elegance. On it hangs a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your... I'll end it there. And and so you get the idea, right, of of how he's looking at her. And to the man, she says, listen, my lover, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountain, bounding over hills and dales. My lover is a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind her wall, gazing through the window, peering through the lattice. My lover spoke and said to me, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. These two are just so sappy in love. You know, it's good it's good that they are and it's based on what they say and so you know a a young man who is pursuing a girl and thinks she's beautiful i know young men have a hard time coming up with words i am past my time i'm just gonna have to leave the rest for next week and maybe the week after i I just want to encourage you guys just the communication make sure you are communicating in such a way to edify your spouse. If you do this, you'll be in glory to God and you will have a wonderful marriage, at least the start of one. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you uh, for your words of wisdom, the things that instruct us and how we're to act. And Father, forgive us for when we don't, for our tendency is to fail. Our tendency is to flutter and 
fall by the wayside. But help us to stand firm. And we know that we can through the power of your spirit and concerning our marriages, Lord, and maybe future marriages, we ask that you would bless them in Jesus' name.